It was really and, and fucking Christopher Street. I mean, like places of profound historic importance. Everything's fine, you guys. But the thing is, is like, but L.A. Like, go see where Steamboat Willie was uh, was was first drawn in L.A. It's like a law office. <laughs> so oh, it's gonna be like. How did you know? No, L.A. is legendary for paving over its history. Right? But I think that's the difference is L.A. never had an attachment to history. New York, <laughs> New York used to give a shit and then it stopped. Well, L.A. The, never cared. That's the whole point of the West Coast is like is like to say there is no history here. It's all new. <laughs> Basically, I found out they're like, you could have a lemon tree in your yard. I'm like, move it. We rented yeah. a house. We well, Not Avocados. even a house. We you rented a guest Avocados. house and we had an orange, a blood orange, and a grapefruit tree just out on our patio. <laughs> I just find that so exciting I went out when I was on tour I was out somewhere in California Arizona and we were in like they put us in like a double tree or something but they had a fruit tree in the yard and I was like (laughs) trying to get these dinky oranges out of it I spent half the time almost falling over the balcony trying to get an orange this big just because I could it really like I grew up in a culture where um you didn't need to buy avocados because all of your neighbors with totally. avocados were like, I have a hundred. Same with take pomegranates. Them. Is this who, who, where, are you from California? Yeah, I'm from, I'm from right outside of LA. We're, I thought we're you both were, from right outside yeah. of LA. I thought you were from Boston or something. No, no, we, we grew up, pomegranates are free, man. Somebody's got a pomegranate tree with hundreds of pomegranates. Mm-hmm. I yep. never saw a pomegranate until I was like 25. <laughs> yeah, avocado, the idea that avocados were expensive would have been unthinkable. Settled, no, totally. It was, it was, I mean, you had to persuade people to eat avocados. Yeah, you're like, please. White people had my, to be told... My yard is covered. Please take some avocados. Let, let me ask you a question while we're on the subject of pomegranates. Uh, I was remembering my classical studies time. When you think of a pomegranate and you have to make a choice between the following uh, two uh, uh, choices, would you think of it as testicular or uterine? I haven't until right. this. Uterine! See? I think I don't lean either way. I, I just nah, have, don't think of pomegranates. You can't stand as, on the fence on this question. <laughs> I guess uterine because it contains, it's more of, I, I think of it as like, um, as a bearer, you know, in terms of, I, a testicle contains too, but I don't know. I, I, I don't think of any fruit as testicular. Yeah. I just, it, I, I've it, never thought it, of so any fruit as uterine you're studying the, the Roman mystery cults, right? The, the pomegranate is really important in, I think, the cult of Sibylle, if I remember correctly. Um, could be wrong about that one. Could be the cult of Attis, but I feel like Attis is actually a servant of Sibley. And I remember saying in class, like you were talking about, well, this is an obviously feminine thing. I was like, they're giant round red balls. <laughs> it seemed, but it was totally accepted by all the Romans is like, that's a uterine. This is a hello and welcome to I Only Listen to the Mountain Goats, the only podcast where we discuss which reproductive parts pomegranates resemble. My name's John and I am Team Testicle. <laughs> I'm supposed to introduce myself after that? I mean, I mean that. Which I, team are you? I'm t- I'm Maureen Johnson, and I'm Team Uterus. <laughs> and I'm Joseph, and I'm Team It's a Fruit. <laughs> Hi, I'm Joseph Fink, podcaster and novelist, and this is the show where I talk with John Darnielle, singer and songwriter of the band The Mountain Goats, about what it means to be a fan, to be an artist, and to be both at once. Today we are back in Brooklyn on an August evening. Novelist Maureen Johnson has joined us, and things get loopy because we are all tired, and also John has an important question about fruit. How you doing, Maureen? How was your? Tell me about your late day, if unless you don't want. To. My late day? You said I thought you said you had a late day yesterday. No, you had a late day yesterday. Oh, I did. Yeah. I think your brain has exploded from the late day yesterday. Yeah, I got back to the apartment that I'm renting at uh, 
840 and ordered um, just the biggest platter of Turkish food I could. Joseph's brain. Uh, and nothing, there's nothing that a giant platter of Turkish food won't cure, is what I discovered. Has broken. <laughs> so, Marina, I thought we could talk about. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to just keep doing this the entire episode. Just, I, I also, totally dare me. I imagine you sitting on the floor with a platter like this big. I mean, they. Just sticking your hands they in They were like the chicken thing, and I, they, they had sizes, and I was just like, yeah, I mean, the largest, just big. Just send me the. Send me the platter. I want it to arrive on a table. I walked around for 45 minutes trying to pick something different to eat from what I had for lunch, and then I went to the same place. Yeah. It's always the way. Yeah. Like, don't change. Don't change anything you do. I That's think a lesson. There's probably thing, good advice. Yeah, just do the same thing. There's one thing I want people to take from this podcast. It's don't never change. change. Yeah, don't change yeah. a thing. Well, yeah, there's a lot to say about variety. It's funny. It's like we were talking about parenting a couple episodes ago, and it's like, if you're me, it's like I want to show my kids all kinds of different things, and the kids will be like, "No, the one that was good, the last one." <laughs> like, <laughs> like they're not. Variety is interesting. Just like you have to introduce it really sparingly. If you keep going, we're doing something different today. It's like, no, I liked the last thing we did, and that's actually that's been me for most of my life. <laughs> I wonder if it's. I mean, probably partly it's just like how kids work, but I do wonder if it's a thing of like as a kid you have such a limited experience of the world, right? Yeah. You're not aware of how big it is in a in a visceral sense and so if you find something you like the idea that there could be a bunch more stuff you like that wouldn't occur to you because it's like oh my god there's a thing i like in the world why would i ever leave this thing yeah. i like uh, to me this is like a big interesting question because like i think some is consumerism like you're constantly being sold the idea that you need something new you need something different you know and so forth but at the same time i've probably talked about this guy before there's a guy wayne theme that was a friend of the family he ate Kentucky Fried Chicken for dinner every night. And he was like a professor, and, and that was what he ate. He had also, I forget what cereal he liked for breakfast. We didn't understand how utterly set this was until he came to visit my grandmother, who grew up in Ar Little Rock, Arkansas. And he came to visit the family sometime in the late 70s. He was coming over for dinner. And my grandmother prepared like a seven-course meal. It was a holiday, you know, Thursday night or something like that. And she put it in front of everybody, and Wayne looked up at my dad and said, Max, you didn't mention and he said what I said, I, uh, I'll be back and he got in the car and he went to Kentucky Fried Chicken and he got himself a two piece because that's what he ate for dinner it's like and I've always associated a routine with like yeah and you gotta be careful <laughs> you don't want to get so trapped in your routine that you can only eat the one thing <laughs> so yeah but that guy never has decision fatigue I know I know the thing is like there's a part of it that you have to admire Peter uh, my bassist is like this he says find you find the the bag the, the, the backpack that you like and if you finally wear out the strap and you can't fix it, you get that one again. It's the right one, which I'm actually, I'm now, with backpacks specifically, I'm now into this idea. And so I was grief-stricken to learn that when my backpack... They don't make it. Yeah, it's gone. Yeah. I had to buy something by the same maker, and I discovered that they go by a different name abroad because I'd originally bought it in Australia when I was out walking. I saw a cool backpack, so I'd go, there need a new one. And then I had that for the last seven years, right? And I went to replace it. No, I can no longer have that one. I have to have it. I can't have the Gravis. I have to have Burton, which mm. I consider inferior name to Gravis, even if it was the name of one of B. Clyban's cats. So it has that virtue. But yeah, I had to. I had to say they don't make that backpack anymore. Or you have to make your own backpack. Yes. You have to get a factory. I mean, it's yeah. too complicated. But you can help me kickstart my line of backpacks at the end of this podcast. We'll be providing you some links, and you can uh, go ahead and uh, follow my Patreon also for for the making of best book backpacks. Have either of you read Exit West? 
No. No. I thought it was an extraordinary book, and this is going to be taking this to a slightly sadder place. I was actually going to bring this up later on uh, in the in the season, but this seems like as good a time as any. Well, our national mood is far is altogether too high. I say bring it yeah, down. Yeah, we can cheer. You got to bring happy, it down. So yeah. I think we're gonna the the moment where Exit West went from a book that I thought was good to a book where I'm like, oh, this is a classic. This is like. Uh, a book for the ages is uh, there's this passage toward the there's a series of passages about it's about refugees and it's about migrants it tells that story in kind of a, um, a magic realist way but it's about the feeling of being a refugee and there's a point at the end where it's talking about an older woman who lives in this place where all these refugees are coming and she's lived in the same house her entire life and she's lived in this small town her entire life um, and she hates the idea of migrants and of refugees but as she lives in this place and as people arrive, it changes. And it's in a passage about how time makes refugees of us all. None of us die in the same country we live in, even if we live in, we were born in, even if we live in the same place our entire life. Hmm. It'll change enough that it will no longer be the same country. Yeah, but you got to stay put. There's, a, there's still, there's something that, that refugees suffer that... No, it's not about a comparison of suffering, I don't think. Yeah. I think it's about a the fantasy of being from somewhere. The idea yeah. of I am somehow more of this place because I was born here. Uh, when I would have to read the book to be persuaded of this argument because I, do, I, I would say, yes, no, everything changes around you, but it's still where you're from. Right? What I'm saying is sometimes backpacks get discontinued. Yes, no, it's, this is undeniable, right? And you can't find them. And that's and, mainly what Exit West is about. <laughs> it's about... <laughs> Hence the ceaselessly going into the past. We've got to make it like it was. Yeah, we gotta make Echo Wafers again. Make Did somebody buy again. Echo Wafers factory or no? Did you hear about this? I heard it was. You know what? I don't like Echo Wafers. Yeah, I can't eat them. They have gelatin in them, but I, I, I used I've to. I've never them. had them. Well, you never will now. <laughs> there okay. was. I will always wonder. You know, Harlan Ellison, this writer I loved when I was uh, uh, 12, 13 years old, had many stories around him. A number of which were probably apocryphal, but he was said to have bought out the existing stock of a candy factory from Ohio that made a candy he liked when he was a kid. But they never said what the name of the candy was, and now he's dead. Well, we'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, as you can tell, what we're here to talk with Maureen about mm -hmm. is uh, being an artist with active social media. Sure. As you can probably uh -huh. tell by this conversation. I mean, we we all three of us have fairly active social media. And it also feels like something that is sort of expected of you now as an artist. It's hard to be an artist that doesn't have a public persona. Yeah. I mean, in publishing, you kind of have to, like, if you want to continue. Like, they, they're like, well, you'll be doing this. I, I, I did it before, but definitely as, you, as I came into books four and five, they're like, well, you already have one. But all the people that were new were like, and you're going to go do this, and you're going to start your page, and you're going to start. And back then it was like, and you're going to start a Facebook, and you're going to start a a YouTube channel. You're talking about five, six years ago, ten years ago, or yeah, six, seven, eight years ago. You know, just that you know, go out and do these things, and it'll make this huge difference. And it, you know, it didn't. You know, all these people. You, you put. A, it's like running us. I think of it as running the farm. You know, you go and you have to maintain all of these different properties. I. I don't. I didn't. I was like, I'm going to do this and this. I'm going to do it exactly like I want, and I'm not going to do the others. That's the, that's seriously the only way to do it, though. Is like because the thing is, they are right that. Like I think for books, social media has been a godsend, right? It's a, it's because there's a conversation already taking place, and if you are contributing to it already in some way, if you have a presence on Twitter uh, because you're actually participating, 
then when you have something to tell people about, they will listen. Where I think the publishing industry is wrong is they think that a writer, I'm trying to think of, you know, uh, uh, is, is the Cloud Atlas guy. Um, oh, David, David Mitchell. Mitchell. So I don't, I don't know because I haven't followed his Twitter, but my guess would be he's one of those people we were talking about, writers who do big books, that social media is not really on his radar that much. He's like, he's too busy inhabiting these gigantic worlds, right? Mm. And uh, But guys like that are being told, hey, go do Twitter, right? Well, if all you're doing is saying, I have a new book or here's the interview I did, your presence on Twitter will be fairly invisible. You have to actually be engaging in some way, I think. But for those of us who have fun with it, I think when you do have a book, then people will go, I have a lot of people who did not care at all about my stuff who find my tweets funny. So then they go and listen to my stuff. You know? Yeah. It also doesn't sell books. No. It sells a couple, but it yeah. doesn't sell that many. A couple books count. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. I mean, a couple books count, but I mean, it's not like, and then you, it's like, oh, you have followers on Twitter. You no, will you, sell a million. Co- no, no, like, you'll sell a couple more, but. David Mitchell is an interesting example because he, I, I, I happen to know, he actually, early on in Twitter, he did this experiment where he wrote a short story on Twitter. No kidding. One sentence at a time. And then I think later, like, published it in somewhere, wow. you know. Where he got paid. So, for it, it, by interesting example, you mean a bad one, and I accept this criticism. <laughs> well, it's. I think it's just like no one gets to be Thomas Pynchon anymore. Right. Um, nobody gets to vanish into Manhattan and just re- kind of send books out into the world. We all are kind of required to have a public performance of ourselves. Well, you could. I mean, depends on how much public you mean. Wallace, before he died, he didn't do anything socially. He did book tours, famously, but uh, but he didn't do any of the rest, uh, rest of that stuff. I think it also um, – I think women are also kind of told to do it more. Yeah, maybe so. Yeah, well, yeah. Does Toni Morrison do it? I don't think I, – also, I think – well, she's not new. Right, you know, no, like, she's an established like, yeah, person. I, yeah, yeah. If you're kind of coming in, they're like, well, you know, women on Twitter, they love it. Or the internet, go and we'll put a beach read yeah, tag on it. The thing is some it. of that is so weird and some of that's because so many in music and publishing and film, I think everywhere, like – they were lagging behind the development of this so hard that then they ride it super hard when says, no, this is good, you know. But I will say, like, they didn't make me, but, you know, they send you this thing. It's like, here's some stuff you should do. I said, get a Goodreads page. Well, often you'll find if you already – I was already a musician, right, that somebody else had already squatted it for you. So you go and you say, can I have my name back? And and there's people find me on Goodreads that, like, that's their ecosystem. They're not actually looking at me on Twitter. They're not anywhere else. But they are interested in what I'm reading. They're having their own little things. So. Goodreads is a tough is a tough scene. Yeah, it's, is it tough? I mean, I, I'm sure you have the same experience where, like, the moment a book of mine is announced, there are a number of both one and five star reviews, and like all that exists of the book is the name. And yeah. so that just you're seems, like, you're, I'm not done yet. <laughs> like, I don't I, I don't look at my own stuff on. I just put up my, the books that and I've I'm read. Like, I, why are you rate? Why are you rating this either five or one? It's not a th- Thing. Well, this is where I'm very lucky that I had been getting reviews for well over a decade by the time I published my first book. And so I knew, don't read the reviews. If they if people are saying it's good and you hear about that, then be happy, right? And if somebody is ungracious enough to share a bad one with you, say, hey, please don't – I don't try and read my own stuff. <laughs> so it's like – it's so – I can't – because it gets in your head. You know, either way, if people are saying you're great, it gets in your head in a bad place. Same if they're if they're criticizing. It's, you know – but every every venue has its own ecosystem. Yeah. It has its own internal language. I said, like, so if you just stumble onto Twitter, you might be like, "What are these people talking about?" And it's like not real. It's it's real life, and yet it's not. It's its own kind of 
it's one carter of real life and it can be very, you know, confusing if you s- jump into it and you're like, I don't understand literally what, why are they posting that picture of that guy turning around and like, what does that mean? And Wait, which guy is this? Uh, the jealous, the, the jealous, jealous boyfriend or jealous. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but God, yeah. Goodreads is its own <laughs> ecosystem. Tumblr is its own ecosystem. Um, you know. Yeah. I mean, when Night Vale blew up on Tumblr, I genuinely didn't know what Tumblr was. Like I'd heard the name, but I had no idea what, that website did yeah and i was like oh i have a career now because of a website i vaguely heard about once mm-hmm. yeah nightfall tumblr is a just giant yeah it probably still is really uh, i stopped after the yahoo acquisition i kind of they changed the, the the way that things nested and i was just really i don't like it anymore so oh i don't go there <laughs> <laughs> how do you think i mean because you have to sort of i think even even if it feels authentic and it feels like something that you're like I'm listen I'm going to play the the social media game but I'm just going to kind of do it in a way that seems interesting to me it's still a performance of yourself how do nah, you man on my twitter you get the absolute raw authentic distillation of me that's all it is man 100% naked and real all day long <laughs> mountain-goats.com no mask <laughs> no mask no filter hashtag. no mask.com no mask. <laughs> the hashtag after I'm very I'm cool as hashtag well. authentic <laughs> hashtag authentic don't you think that people who say hashtag out loud should be jailed though like if, if the hashtag could... jailed yes exactly <laughs> Hashtag criminal. Hashtag I, mean, I don't, don't believe do in jails. I think the jails and prisons should all be eliminated. But if we're going to have them. Hashtag abolish jails. Yes. <laughs> hashtag abolish hashtag. This is the greatest talk show guest of all time. Hashtag greatest. Yeah. Hashtag greatest. <laughs> hashtag guest. Um, I don't remember what I was saying. Oh, I still don't. I don't do anything online. I don't, I don't like. Like if they're like, will you do this? I'm like, no. But I think it's only because I'm like, look, I've been around the block a couple of times. Like, do you want to go on a blog tour? I'm like. No, I don't. I'm not going to do that. What is a blog tour consist of? Oh, it's of? a lot of work. A blog tour? Oh, it's a ridiculous. That's like the worst thing I can imagine. It's a, it's a lot of work. I mean, it's it's where you basically, I mean, I've seen a, one or two that worked out, but it's like, you'll go on, they'll be like, we arranged a blog tour for you. And you'll write all of these answers. Like, like you write a post about this, you write a post right. about that, they'll send you questions. One time, I this was a while ago, but I counted up all the extra stuff <laughs> that I had to write when the book came out, it was like 25,000 words. And how much are you getting paid for word on those? This is a joke question. Well, yeah. I mean, like it was a lot of work. And I was like, you know, some of these, it's also diminishing returns. If you put me on 15 of these, yeah. I'll want to show every, you know, I don't want to short shrift anyone who's publishing it. But at the same time, then I'm not going to sit there all day and like read my identical interview here and here. Look at this where I'm saying, this is me, me again doing the same thing. And then, you know. It feels so gauche, right? Yeah. It, well, it's it's also repetitive and it's not really helpful. You know, it's not it's not like here's me picking out my lip, favorite lipstick color again, which is a question a lot of female authors get asked a lot. What's, really? Oh, really? God, it's, I mean, I feel naive, but uh, what's your what's what's your go to lipstick color? It's the sort of the <laughs> it's, it's the it's the world. equivalent of how do you balance family and work? You know? Yes, yes, the, yes. Yeah, yeah. That one, uh, the lead tree, my wife. She hates hearing uh, it's. It, there was a while that there was no interview that didn't include the question, what, what's your go-to lipstick color? Really? It's people, if anybody's listening to this who does interviews, don't ask women that question. It's, and I was like, on. the blood of others. Yeah, of others. Because if it was your own blood, that would be weird. Yeah, I mean, it would be, be fair, weird. It's great lipstick. <laughs> yeah. I, Still, that is very, that's, yeah. How do you get it? I got you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody asked me my favorite lipstick color ever. Burgundy. Yeah. 
Burgundy. Burgundy. Yeah. You wouldn't look in burgundy. <laughs> I look fucking killer in burgundy lipstick, as a matter of fact. Go with blue. So No, no, no. I, I Believe me, very few people ever see me lipstick, but I, my lipstick game is extremely high. Burgundy? Yeah. Trust me. I know my stuff. Burgundy. It's yeah. like a sofa color. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Deep, deep burgundy was a lipstick. I think it was... They don't have Who's, names like that. They don't. They're not called burgundy. It'll be called like. I haven't worn lipstick since the eighties. Afternoon so. coffee. But yeah, yeah, yeah. What color is afternoon coffee? It'll be like burgundy. <laughs> what does that have they, to do with afternoon coffee? They give them names like oh, that. Oh, afternoon coffee. You've never had an afternoon coffee. It's like it's a rich or red like, color. You know, You'd almost compare it to wine. New York puddle. Uh, you know, they New give York them names. Puddle. They every color has a name. Like. Yeah, I know that's back right. on black. Zippity doodah. You know, like they all have names. And somewhere there's someone. Staring at a fucking another red lipstick, being like, "What do I call this one?" Yeah, burgundy. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to, and then you have to remember the color name. So if you ever got like nail polish color, you're like, "What is this? Is this like Buff Breakfast or is it like Sandy Beach or is it catching some waves?" Like they all have stupid names. Everything is a stupid name. Hashtag stupid name. I mean, it's just <laughs> the worst. Welcome to I Only Listen to the Mountain Goats, the podcast with a great name. Pod- it's a good name. <laughs> it's a name. It's a niche name. Yeah. See, now I'm just thinking, like, you know, I, I, I had my time with makeup, and, like, I wanted Shiseido uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Rouge, but I couldn't afford it, an eyeshadow, and now I'm thinking, I want to go buy some, and I have no use for it, because it doesn't really know where I'm at anymore. The blood of others. Yeah, really blood, easy. W- will also be good, yeah. <laughs> um, bringing it back to... Pomegranates. To pomegranates. I, I'd never... Ate- a, a useful source of dye. Yeah. Uh, and one of the sort of things, the Picts, you know, uh, in England used to... Uh, uh, colored themselves all sorts of colors with natural colors of the earth before we discovered the makeup companies. Maybe this is a regional thing or it might be uh, a generational thing. I never saw pomegranates much growing up in Southern California. No one really had them. They were in Claremont. There were were pomegranates. Yeah, I'm wondering if that's a regional because I was up in Ventura County. Yeah. Welcome to Ventura County chat. I've still never seen a pomegranate. The actual fruit? Yeah. I mean, I know when you're escaping... Was it when you're escaping hell you're not supposed to eat any because she had to go down there for Maybe winter? Should, I'm going to take one little bite, you guys. Just one bite. <laughs> that was a pomegranate, right? I think it was a pomegranate. Isn't it always a pomegranate? Pomegranates in ancient mythology figure very prominently as we were discussing at the beginning of this I podcast. mean, in Jewish tradition. The- but this is the thing. So you take a bite of the pomegranate. Who can take a bite of a uterus? Right? The uterus is internal. It can't represent a uterus if it's something that exists outside the body. That's, that's the whole nature of uterine discussion is that it's internalized, right? So. I mean, that's fair. So I guess we are coming down to a consensus. We're not going to have – there's not going to be a definitive consensus here. It's just a discussion. I mean, in, in Jewish tradition, in garden, the Garden of Eden, it wasn't an apple. It was a pomegranate. A pomegranate, yeah, yeah. Um, but well, that's probably – I mean, that's probably – don't we think that's like a layover because it, it's a, a like a Mesopotamian myth yeah, that has come down? It's mainly just whatever fruit is available in your region. Like apples weren't a thing yeah. in when that tradition was formed and then later – in Christian tradition, they didn't really have a lot of pomegranates. They're like, we have apples. How about a watermelon? That'd <laughs> yeah. be a very different story. In New Jersey, it was Necco wafers, <laughs> yeah. actually. It was. And the Necco wafers. I just conflated Necco and Nilla wafers. Nilla wafers, delicious. Yes. Necco wafers, gross. I don't agree with you, even though I haven't eaten one in many years because they have gelatin, but, uh, but I always liked them. Really? Yeah. In part, though, because you sort of, they're a food you have to come to terms with. They're not immediately pleasing. You have yeah. to grapple with it. They're they're difficult. Yeah, they're and I and they sort of look like chalk. Yes, like they're yeah. They challenge you to like them. Mm. I like that. I hear that because then yeah. once you lock in, then you have something that other people say it's gross, and you go, ah, you just you're not in the club. Yeah, <laughs> you got to eat it until it hurts you. That's then, exactly. Then, then you like it. You have to let it get its hooks into you. Yeah, 
All of my favorite food has that slogan. Really? Eat, it, eat it till it hurts you. <laughs> Hello, Joseph here. I have two books coming out this year. Seriously. May 11th, 2021. The first 10 years, two sides of the same love story. So there is a love story that happened behind the scenes of Welcome to Night Vale between me and Meg Bashwinner, MC and tour manager for the live Night Vale show. In this memoir, we recount the first 10 years of our relationship year by year without consulting each other beforehand. It's a funny and romantic story about how differently we experience and remember our lives. Then on July 20th, 2021, The Halloween Moon, my first ever novel for ages 10 and up. Esther Gold loves Halloween, until the year that Halloween night just won't end. Even she doesn't want Halloween to last forever. No matter your age, if you are a fan of what I do, I think you're going to love this book. Get these books wherever you get your books. So... I'm about to go on a 17-city book tour in a few months. I will have done it by the time this comes out. You're fancy. I'm extremely... I mean, as you can look at me, Maureen, I'm very fancy. You are a I fancy I lecture Joseph about taking these gigantic... 17 is insane. It is insane, but you know what? It's great. And it's... See? You can't say no because... Because you have these enablers around you. <laughs> Maureen calls me every day and it's like, you can't say hey, no to things. don't say no stuff. Yeah. 17 is a lot, but um, will you be going alone? Yes. Totally? No. Uh, See? I, <laughs> fortunately, my wife is able to yeah. join me for the first half. Okay, that's something. Going uh, alone, that's like, I feel like, you know, there's Harry Nilsson in the background. You know, that kind yeah, of yeah, like, yeah. you're I started sitting. losing stuff. I went on my last to paperback tour. I went all by myself. I was driving myself around Wichita to Tulsa and stuff. And, and I just started losing stuff every room I went to. It was so clearly a message from my psyche. It's like, you don't want to be out here by yourself. You're kind of losing it. <laughs> and so Yeah. It's a lot of, and airplanes are very, I know, I have these weird. I'm driving the whole first half. That's good. No fucking flights. Where are you going? Uh, where am I going? Just Western Mass. We're going uh, Brooklyn, D.C., uh, Durham, or actually it's Chapel Hill, uh, then Lexington, then Chicago. Then Ann Arbor. That's the stretch I'm driving. And then I have to start flying. I was leading into this not because I just wanted to tell you Promotes that I have a book, book tour. tour that you should go see. It's over by the time you're hearing this. I was, was already, I was already impressed. But that I regularly on book tour think about the book tour story you told me. And it makes me feel better because mm-hmm. I'm like, at least it's not that event. Mm-hmm. Do you want to tell that sure, story? Sure, I'll happily tell that. So one of my first, it was like my second book, I think. I can't remember. Uh, it was early on where uh, my publicist said, and bless their heart for doing this, like they try so hard. She's like, I'm going to send you up to this bookstore in <sighs> Connecticut, I think it was. So it's like, take the take the Amtrak up there. And the first thing I know is I arrive, I get off the Amtrak and there's nobody there. There's nobody there. And I'm just standing there looking around. It was the winter time. And then finally a car yes. speeds into like the parking lot as if, well, it's also lightly starting to snow. And this woman's like, she didn't come and get you. I- <laughs> okay, come on, get in the car. And then she's like, so we like drive a couple feet basically around to this bookstore. We go in and, and the woman's like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. The owner is just, oh my God, I'm so sorry. 
she's just, and then she was like clearly upset about something. And so I get in there and the owner's like, oh, hey, um, yeah, I advertised your uh, signing on the wrong day. So like nobody's going to come. But uh, if you want, I bought the building next door and it's like a coffee shop. You can like wait in there in case anybody comes, but they won't. Anyway, in case anybody comes, it's great. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, I guess. And so she t- takes me to the building next door, which is a giant building with like a stage, a coffee bar. She's like, you want a coffee? You want a sandwich? And I'm like, yeah, I want a coffee and a sandwich. So I sit there and she's On like- two coffees. Yeah. And two so sandwiches. she gives me some stuff and she's like, okay, I'll come back later, you know, at the start of the event. If nobody comes, I'll take you back to the train. And so I go in there, it begins a snowstorm starts. I'm sitting in there for three hours. I have my computer with me. I'm doing some stuff, eating my sandwich. I'm like, I'm just locked in this building. And eventually, long after the event's supposed to start, a woman, another person comes in and unlocks the door and is like, so, uh, and she's like, starts to open up the coffee store. And I'm like, so is that woman coming back? She's like, oh, no, she went home like two hours ago. So she forgot I was there. Yes. And so I'm like, okay. And so I start walking back to the train station in the snow. And uh, then I got on a train and came back. So, yeah, I went to an event that wasn't there and I got locked in a building and then I wandered home in the snow. (laughs) That's, a, that's like the best book tour story I think I've ever heard. It's good, I really right? like it. If, if you're anything like me, you will find it useful sometimes when you're on a book tour stop that feels really bad and you're feeling bad about it and about yourself and you're feeling sorry for yourself. And then I think about that and I'm like, you know what? At least it wasn't that. Oh, you can always call me and I'll be like, and then there was another time. The thing it- is, is like I'm told, you know, when people say about it, it's like you're lucky to get a book tour. You're lucky that people can. And it's true. It's like there's the vast majority of authors would be like, Please put me out there. Let when me... that when that happens, you say thank you. Yeah. You say thank you. You tried. I mean, that gets into... It's glamorous. I'm saying it's glamorous, and I'm it a glamorous, is glamorous person. The hard part of it for me is that I'm just not social at all, and like, and people assume that you want to be entertained, and so they're doing their best, and you want to go, I'm not used to talking to strangers, and I don't... We're not going to... We don't have enough time to get to know each other, and so I kind of... If I sit quietly, I'm okay, and nobody <laughs> believes that. <laughs> Let's cut this short, all right? Yeah. <laughs> but you, you don't want to do yeah. that. It's like, so you have to be game and make the effort, right? But if you, you know, but you sit there going, they can tell, they can tell, this is not actually me. <laughs> so. We did uh, an event once uh, that there was a, I'm going to just leave his name out of it, um, but there was a fairly famous rock star at this event. and It was uh, Mick Jagger, the lead singer of the Mick Rolling Jagger. Stones. And we were hanging out backstage at this thing, and the person found a, dressing room that no one was using and set a chair in the corner and sat quietly in that chair looking at the wall until it was time for him to do his thing and then he went out and did his thing and he went back and he sat back down in that chair and just stared at the wall there was just like i'm sure the assumption in the audience because you know the guy you know he's a performer so when he gets out on stage there's a lot of energy and it's his thing and there's this assumption that that continues and 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 no when he wasn't on stage he just wanted to be by himself having a moment i mean the thing is that's actually the norm as far as i know in music it shocks me when i do stuff with you guys how much you are hanging out and conversing and stuff before you we're actors in a way yeah no we sit there actors are annoying we don't really fraternize until about half an hour before the show half an hour hour then we're congregating together getting a set list and we start to sort of introduce ourselves to each other's company but it's not we don't hang we're not doing dinner together the backstage at the night vowel show was one of the happiest places i've ever been but i also got super nervous because i get shy 
So I was too, like, everyone was hanging out, and there was, like, a massage chair and a buffet, and people were, like, <laughs> having fun, and I was too nervous for a while. Uh, come note, to the mountain, is, we don't usually have a massage chair or a buffet. <laughs> and there was also, there was, like, a, there was, like, a petting zoo. Continue exposing. Was, we do always have a petting <laughs> zoo. There was a, ve- there was a Ferris wheel. There was a uh, money dispenser. Oh, yeah, there was a, actually like, a money grab, blower. Grab you a just go in there and you shove it in your pants. <laughs> I mean, the thing about Night Vale backstage, we're all basically theater nerds. You know, we were, like, theater kids in high school. And so that energy continues backstage. Oh, they're so lovely. And everybody was so great. And I was so like kind of I was like, I'm the outsider. I'm just these people are actors. I'm just some weirdo that they let do this. And then finally, I talked to all weirdos that get let to do this. Like, that's the secret. Somehow someone let the weirdos do this. I was stage makeup crew. I think we talked about this before. It's like the actors come to us. We fix them up. And then they're gone. And then we're quietly hanging out with each other. Just I mean, I was a theater person. And still, I get really nervous. I was nervous. And then after like four hours, I was like. Hey, I'll talk to you. How? And they were super nice to me. You know what works? It helps with that is alcohol. I don't drink. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. No, but I mean, didn't. like, I know so many things. But also, I wasn't going to do that. Like in the middle, you know. Yeah, that's not going to. We did a, a a show once that there was like a guest musician playing who I guess just never performed live much, and he drank I think about a yep. bottle of whiskey because uh, of his nerves and just was not. It was not good. It was, yeah, you don't, you can't perform like that. That's not a state. You well, you have to perform it. <laughs> I was also convinced because I didn't know how to adjust the microphone. So I went to Mark Gagliardi and went, will you adjust the microphone for me? Because I'm, I was convinced that if I did it, I would knock it over into the audience and it would go and like set everything on fire and there would be a fire and the people would be screaming for it. And somehow in my two lines that I had, I would manage to burn the theater down and ruin everything. But that's a good assumption. You let the guy who knows more about the mic stand work with the mic stand. I have people do that for me because I will just look dumb. I'm going to sit there looking very awkward trying to fix my, my mic stand. My secret is I always just tilt the mic so I don't have to fuck with the little like uh, screw on the the case i just yeah. kind of tilt it vaguely towards my mouth it was it was i was trying to stand on my toes the first time and they're like well you need you need to talk into it and i was like oh shit <laughs> oh can i swear on this uh, yes fuck yeah it's the internet oh, they have a lot of swearing goodness me <laughs> fortunately so uh the person who goes before me in night Vale shows is usually symphony who's shorter than me so i can kind of just tilt it up a bit this has been mike tilt this has been hashtag mike tilt backstage uh, at night Vale. night Vale's great Everyone there is so lovely. That was like an uplifting experience that made me believe in people. That's good. That's good to hear. That's so. I, I'm just like <laughs> we're we're very. I, I remember being backstage at the Night Vale thing where I played uh, Nightlight. I think um, Bellhouse was. It oh, Bellhouse? Uh, Bellhouse. Yes. Oh my God! I'd never been so nervous and uncomfortable in my life as I really? was backstage. It's people. They're all talking. And they're all like it, they're, they're all talking and having like fun that. and fraternizing. And I was like, there is literally no place for any quiet. Two, two things in the heart back here. That was the Night Vale Presents birthday party, which yeah, had yeah. like people from a bunch of shows. Were yeah, there. yeah. No, and two, wild. that's the Bell House, which famously the backstage is the size of a table. No, like, I, mean, I was texting my wife, going, "There are twenty people back here. There are twenty. Where usually like, should our I go outside? Aren't what like should that. I do?" <laughs> it's like you know, and like because my solution is, I mean, like all kinds of substance abuse issues. Yeah, it's like I'll just start hitting the wine. I'll just do that, and then it will be easier to talk to people. So, but I didn't do that that night. I was proud. Usually our backstages are, are nice. Yeah. The bell, got, the bell house no, is always nice. just a crowded situation. I, like I said, they got massage tables and buffets and petting zoos. The money machine. And the, the, money blower. the money blower. As much as you – they're like, when you're not on stage, you get in that money blower. And, and just you, enjoy. You start grabbing money from the air and you shove it down your underwear. You're shoving it in your bra. 
you're walking off rich, richer than you'll ever imagine. Who knows? But remember how much money you'll have after you leave the that was, backstage. If you start trying you. to pick it up from the floor, though, that is cheating, That's and we cheating. don't allow you back in the money blower. Yeah. Also, I was told if you picked it up from the floor, that the glass would turn blue, and it would just like, and I yeah. would just wake up in a different location. Yeah, but to see the video of that, you have to pay for the premium YouTube, the red. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. No, it was it was good back there. So I feel like we've hit some tough topics right. in this conversation. Was this about the internet? <laughs> what were you supposed to be talking about? We were talking about social media and public image and, and yeah. how it affects working working as an artist. It's like a pain in the ass and also super good. I don't do anything online. I, my tip is like, don't do anything you don't want to do or doesn't feel natural to you because it will always be apparent and it'll be a giant pain in the ass and waste of your time and your life. If you like it, do it. In the beginning, when I was around when John Green was first starting making videos, I'm like, maybe videos are fun. And I got a camera. I was like, oh, I hate this. I'm terrible at it. And I never did it again because I'm like, this is not me. This is not what I'm good at. Maybe if I feel like doing this at some point, I'll do it. But I'm terrible at this. But I like Twitter. Everybody wants videos. Everyone always yeah, wants videos. I find this very depressing about the age we live in. Is that I like, don't, I don't, it. I like words. That's what I'm into. I don't want to look at anybody. I'm happy to record a thing. I, I'm good at this, but. But I like, yeah, audio. Audio is great. But podcast. everyone's like, do you, have, do you have footage of that? Do you have a video? We'll come film you working. I'm like, filming me working is watching me type in words. I have for made an more hour. people mad. Well, the thing is, so I make music, and there's this big assumption that, that everybody wants to see the music being made. And I have, and multiple times, you show up to do a radio session, and then there's three people with cameras, and I look at them and I go, nobody said anything to me about film. I don't want to be filmed. I'm, I'm not here to look good. I don't look good. And uh, they go, oh, well, no, we, it's just for the website. Yeah, no, I get it. I don't want to be filmed while I'm working. I want to make music, right? Boy, they get salty about that. They, no, no, it's part of the thing. And you go, look, man, <laughs> you got to tell me about this so that I can say no in the first place because I don't want to be filmed. Or bring your burgundy lipstick. Exactly. You, know, you need my makeup guy. No, it's like I, my burgundy lipstick is strictly for audio. Oh, right. It's, like, it's called Blood of Others. Oh, my <laughs> God. There's totally a lipstick out there that's got to be called like podcaster or something. <laughs> podcaster. I 100% guarantee you that there is some kind of... Yeah, but of... it's spelled without an E, it's podcaster. And so... It could be. Like you have no, or like podcasting on a Sunday or something. Like it will it will exist. Oh, sorry. I kicked the microphone. It, such was my... Excitement. Yeah. Excitement for this new line of lipstick. I'm, or... not, I'm just not good with microphone stands, I'll be honest with you. I'm really good at knocking yeah, shit she over. She showed she came here to learn. I mean, we, John and I have spent the last day punching our microphones as we talked, so that's... I think and you're professionals, so that makes me feel better. I'm actually generally pretty proud of my mic technique, but I'm not used to doing it for hours at a time. It's like normally three minutes. You're also usually, you know, singing. Yeah. yeah that's and right. you have a thing between you. It's creating a barrier. What thing? Your guitar. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, I was singing in the guitar. studio, though, when you're, when you're doing this. You're doing this and, and looking at the, at the good ones who know when to just lean in just a little bit. Is, that a, is this a, let's see. Well, if you're, if you're telling a story and you're mm -hmm. coming up to a point that you want to make a little bit of extra with, you can. Yeah, that's right. Well, yeah, I mean, you got to... It depends on the mic, though. These, uh, the one you're having, of course, as we know, uh, is terrible. Oh. <laughs> he, he hates the mic. Oh, oh, I get this shitty mic. No, most everybody loves that mic. I love I'm it. I'm the guy who does not care for that mic. I think so. it's wonderful. It's an SM7, and you are with the majority of people uh, uh, on your that. paper that mic. We had a, a little bit of an incident earlier in which John I th thought, I thought he my audio was, tech, I thought, he, I thought he hooked me up with SM7. I was like, what? What's our, wrong with our it? engineer Vin had to come in and like explain that it's it just looks like a SM7. Do you just but, do you not like the shape? No, no. It's uh, uh, the thing is for podcasting. <laughs> there's there's literally no point at all in me having this uh, opinion. Uh, okay. For music, when we record with one, it sounds great in my cans when I'm recording, and it sounds great in the rough when we're listening to the monitors. And always, you get it home and listen. And you go, 
man, I wish it sat a little more, the vocal sat more in its own range. I just, every other vocal mic that I've ever used, I prefer to the SM7, which is, but the SM7, it's a lot of people's go-to mic. A lot of people go, I just put up the SM7, it's always the right choice. For this, it probably makes no difference at all, but I have developed such a bias against it because of my experiences within the studio that I don't, I don't use them. That was all tremendously fancy. But behind you, also, the producer was like, hey, and he just sort of appeared in the window and gave like a thumbs up and then retreated back into the window. So as you were talking, he there was just this- He gave a thumbs up about what? Well, I think it was, can you do it again? It was ben, just kind was, of like, you just kind of appeared. I think, I mean, he just we looked need happy. Our, I, think, I think we need our, our, our Vin visit. For he the, just looked happy. I think we he was saying. just uh, laughing about him having to come in and explain which mic it was. But, well, you guys are killing my sponsorship from Shure. <laughs> <laughs> but Audio-Technica is going to shower us in gear. The, I know there's a mountain is sponsored by Monster in My Pocket, the 80s toy that I used to have a lot of and then I don't have them anymore and I wish I had the whole collection that I once had. Monster in My Pocket, the 80s toy you have to go on eBay to buy. What is that? Is that like a... Oh, is that it was one? the greatest toy of all time. But you, you don't know Monster in My Pocket? No. So... Check it. It was a monster, but it was small enough to fit in your pocket. And But it wasn't just a monster. It was a whole line of monsters. Like I think there were like 40 or so in the first run. And in the first run, there were some fairly, you know, the monsters you would expect. There was a vampire. Mm-hmm. There was a, a mummy, you know. There was a, a witch. There was a ghost. And the ghost was really cool because he was holding his head above his shoulders. That's or she. pretty dope. Yeah, it was really good. I love the ghost. But they had... Point values. Who knows what you were, and that represented rarity, right? Like Mm -hmm. to get a 25 point monster originally was totally random. And then I think the second series they started saying each one has, you'll see the 25 one you can buy if you get the 12 pack. And then eventually they had some like volcano where you could display your monsters in my pocket and so forth. Sounds kind of familiar, the yeah. volcano thing. And they got, but they had to dig deeper. So they started to get some Aztec monsters and stuff. They had to like, you know, broaden their, and then some of them were like, you know, not even really a monster, just like a sprite from English folklore, like the red cap, right? Um, and stuff, but they were super hip. And there's an English version of it that's actually considerably more ornate and cool that I have a few of, but my original box full of monsters in my pockets is gone until we're being sponsored by them now. So I'm hoping. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, isn't it great? <laughs> you know, there's a game that was out when I was a kid that people thought I made up. Do you remember this? It was called I Vunt to Bite Your Finger. No. I Vunt to Bite Your Finger. It's was this a, like a commercial thing you could buy? You or? could buy it. It was a board game. And it had a commercial with a jingle that went, I Vunt to Bite Your Finger. It's a Dracula game. And you had to like go <laughs> around fantastic. the board. And if you like ran out of time, it was like, just set the clock and try your luck. And you would go around and then go, and you were out of time. And you had to stick your finger in the va- in the vampire's mouth and it would go fachunk. And it would nick a little bite mark on your finger with powder. And the vampire awesome. had bitten your finger and it was called, I, wa- I, vunt, I vunt to bite your finger. I only listen to Mountain Goat, sponsored today by I Vunt to Bite Your Finger. Hashtag <laughs> I Vunt to Bite Your Finger. Did I it, like to think that the inventor of that game that it was like a lifelong dream and that he wept when he first saw it going to production. Finally, my dream is achieved in the want to bite your finger game. Is that, didn't make it that far. I don't think it came out. No. I think it was like a one-year thing when everyone's like, you know what's dumb is having a game where a vampire bites your finger. Well, there was an evangelical like, protest where they said it was actually the Mark of the Beast that was trying to get all the kids. You know, Yeah, but you get bitten on your finger. Bitten on your finger. <laughs> I want to bite your finger. It was amazing. like there was, a, he, there was a vampire that lived in the middle of a game board and he wanted to bite your finger. There was a, a game when I was a kid. I don't I don't know how I feel like it was new and it didn't then last very long, but it was basically like it was like a game where you were all people 
in possible inheritors of a vast fortune uh-huh. and you were all trying to murder each other yeah and it was in a mansion full of traps and so the idea was to try and kill the other person with traps but the gimmick of it was you genuinely had to it, it took like an hour to set up because it had this whole complicated like mansion set what the hell is this and how to, can i buy it it was like 13 dead end lane or something but you, you oh, had to, oh i remember that yeah sounds amazing you had to build a mansion full of traps on this game board it took forever and then the game itself was so short and boring cuz you just went around but the idea is like when you went under the chandelier it was an actual plastic chandelier and you pressed a button and it fell on the game character holy or shit there's like a, a fireplace with a, like a little like catapult so you put the game character on it and it like flips him into the fireplace oh that's so great listener you can't see that Maureen is is genuinely oh, actually having no, a moment like, with this. I would have that I would have lost my mind yeah. for that game. There's pictures. Oh my god. So this <gasps> is what it looked like. Oh my god, that's good. All the, oh, I want that so bad. So there's the chandelier and it falls, and then there's this here's the um you put the game character on the top of the bookshelf and you flip that and the, the ladder falls down and kills them. I don't mind setting up a game. I've played Arkham Horror. That thing takes two hours to yeah. set up. Like just set set your night aside. Just there's a lot of Europe- European tabletop games that like there's so much set up. Oh, we collect them. I mean, that's what we do. And we're like, okay, come on, three hours. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's what do you a- play in these days, Maureen? You play any? Oh, we play, I mean, honestly, we do have about 50 or 60. We have a lot, anyway, 50 or 60. We kind of acquire a yeah. new one every, the one we bought the other day, the other day, I don't, I don't even remember the name of it. We already started playing. It was Castle Castlevania or something like that. A board game? That's a video game. It's a board game. This is a Castlevania board game? I'm very it's, excited for this. It's it's like you get it's a legacy game of like setting up a town and a you open these crates and it's not what it's called. Does it have? I mean, there is a Castlevania board game. I'm proud to tell you, but it, that's not it. It's, it's a free fan created board no, game. It's, but it do you know a, what it says in Castlevania? If you if you make it through the night when all the monsters come out every morning, what what the screen says? What no. morning has vanquished the horrible night? That's good. I really like it. This that's is, not it. But I that's a Kickstarter that somebody made a cat. But it's got to be licensed, right? You can't. I think it's free. You can't get away with that. We were just playing a lot of Machi Koro, which I love. This well, has been Board, board Game, game Talk. Uh, we've just about hit There's our no podcast load. audience for that at all. People will hate it. No, I was being funny. There's, I don't know if you know this, but the board game podcast world is just this gigantic. Yeah. Like, you really, people are into it. So. Friends Around the Table, you ever listen to that one? I'm, I'm plugging a, a, a Friends a Around show the that Table. Good, um, so. No, the only, I mean, like a lot of people, they only like. Uh, game. The mountain goats. <laughs> I only listen to the mountain goats, and also you know the adventures on. I listen yes. to. Yes, yeah, yeah. We we bring legacy games with us like on vacation. Yeah, and you know people are like at a bar and they're dancing, and we're like, we're going to set up a pandemic legacy over here in the corner of the bar. Now we did a puzzle on our last vacation, Sweet. and it was but it was a puzzle that was already in the house, and it was from like the forties. I think it was like American Puzzle Company. I forget. This was like the greatest. It was the most fun for me. I've had a vacation a long time, and you can think of me what you will for it. But we found the puzzle. It was a it was a drawing of the first flag being presented to the founding fathers, and none of them looked like themselves. It was a very poor painting. And we realized as we were assembling the puzzle that large parts of the picture weren't on the box picture, right? The picture cut off early on the right <laughs> side and on the left side and on the top and on the bottom. So you couldn't – That's good for a puzzle. It, you had to – I mean, you know what the edges are, but it was like really like, oh, there's a lot more to this picture – 
that I'm seeing. So you have no guide. And we got really obsessed. It was like a two or three hour, like so deep inside the puzzle. We have children. The children are running around needing attention. Like, Kids, I'll get to you, but this puzzle right now, I have to figure this out. You guys will be fine. But we looked it up afterwards, looked at the puzzle company. And of course, there was a, a, a website that hadn't been updated since like 2002, cataloging every single one made by this puzzle company and telling you, and this to me was scandalous, even though I should know this. It showed with no pictures, the six designs that the puzzle company was repeating, uh, that was repeating through all their puzzles. So it's like, first flag is pattern A. Here Mm -hmm. are the other nine puzzles that are the exact same puzzle, but with different pictures. This, to me, seems a severe violation of trust. Yeah. Right? Every puzzle should be its own puzzle, but I bet, like... They had a stamp or something. Yeah, there's, there's only like 12... It's like it's like myth. There's 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 twelve actual puzzle patterns and infinite pictures. I'm gonna just say that the episode can be over. We can just be chatting now. Welcome to Puzzlecast. This is important information. Uh, so Grant, you can Bo- you can find content. an ending in there somewhere. Bonus content. Good luck. <laughs> in League with Dragons is out now. Buy it. The Mountain Goats are also on tour throughout this year. You should go and see them. Maureen Johnson is the author of several incredible novels, most recently The Vanishing Stair. Also, a novel she co-wrote with John Green is being made into a Netflix series in November called Let It Snow, so check that out. If you want more of her on Mike, she has a political podcast called Says Who. Also, her Twitter account rules. Check it out where you check out Twitter. We are releasing in 2020 our third Welcome to Nightville novel. It is called The Faceless Old Woman Who Secretly Lives Near Home. If you like The Princess Bride, if you like The Count of Monte Cristo, or if you like The Haunting of Hill House, well, I can't guarantee you'll like this, but it is along those lines. It starts in 18th century Europe, and it ends with a faceless old woman secretly living in your home. Every Nightville novel is entirely standalone, requires no previous knowledge to enjoy. Go to Welcome Welcome to Nightville.com for more info and to pre-order. I only listen to The Mountain Goats as a production of Nightville Presents with Merge Records. It is produced by Christy Gressman, editing by Grant Stewart, mixing by Vincent Cascione. All music courtesy of The Mountain Goats and Merge Records. Thank you to Christina Rents, Ryan Madison, Seaside Lounge in Brooklyn, and The Rubber Room in Chapel Hill. Check out nightvalepresents.com for more information about this show and all of our other shows, like The Orbiting Human Circus, a magical story about music, a Paris that never was, and a janitor. Created by Julian Coster of The Music Tapes and Neutral Milk Hotel, and starring John Cameron Mitchell, the second season is coming in November. Thanks for listening, and hail Satan. Hello, iPod broadcast listeners. My name is Meg, and I am one of the esteemed tri-hosts of the beloved iBroad Good Morning Night Vale. I, along with my hilarious friends, fellow Night Vale actors, passionate eaters, and soft-hitting journalists, Symphony Sanders and Hal Lublin, are now over 100 episodes into our deep dive recap show of Welcome to Night Vale. We've tackled topics like soft meat crown head cannons, Cecil's fashion, and whether Steve Scones were really all that terrible, plus behind-the-scenes stories from the Night Vale creative family. And we've heard from listeners like you about queer representation, Night Vale named pets, major theories, minor questions, and of course, best and worst practices for, um, alternative spa therapy services. If you know, you know. 
Check out Good Morning Night Vale every other Thursday, wherever you get your eye broads, eye casts, pod broads, and podcasts. I think I like pod broads the best. I'm a real pod broad myself.